0: G'day, this is Dave Pellow. Two days ago, I was invited on to Neil Johnson's show, 2020, on Vision Christian Radio in Australia. I was invited on to discuss the federal election, which is coming up, and it's really important that Christians and pastors and preachers and pulpits all around Australia understand their roles and responsibilities regarding that. Uh, So I hope you enjoy this conversation.
1: Life, Culture and Current
2: Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We know that we are not long out from the next federal election. The most likely timing will be early next year, but you only have to look at the headlines and you can see that our leaders are in campaign mode. Hard hats and high viz driving heavy machinery, it's always a good sign. The campaign is underway. Well, Christian commentators and lobbyists who recognize a disconnect between the policies of our political parties and the revealed biblical truth of God are determined not to be caught by surprise. Our regular focus is on the dangers of losing our freedoms and the rise of authoritarianism here in Australia. There is a big variety of Christian commentators that you'll hear on this program, and we're returning to some of the foundations today on why we should expect Christians to raise their voices leading up to the next federal election. And Just when you think we might be talking about church leaders or Christian political lobbyists, it might be a challenge to include every one of us in that number. Our special guest through this coming hour, Dave Pello, is founder of the Church and State Summits and of the online conservative channel called The Good Source. He's not afraid to say what he thinks, and he is our guest through this coming hour. Very shortly, we'll open our talkback lines, but Dave Pello, a special welcome
0: along to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Very exciting to be with you again. Thank you for the invitation. Well, Dave,
2: the Church and State Summits, they've made such a tremendous impact over these past few years where you have been able to successfully gather together some amazing commentators, Christian leaders who've got political views, and they've been able to set in some sense, uh, in train, that thinking that sets the Christian way of thinking about politics apart. And so with another election coming, uh, a little bit of continuity, continuity today on, on those thoughts, Christian leaders are now very much in contrast to where the policies of government are.
0: Yeah, thank you. The The Church and State Summit has grown into a remarkable, beautiful uh, exhibition and demonstration of unity in Jesus Christ. Uh, people from all political backgrounds, left and right, uh, people from all denominational backgrounds, from Roman Catholic to Evangelical, Pentecostal, the whole spectrum, and and not just a diplomatic unity, but an actual joyful unity like like siblings that enjoy a little bit of rivalry, a little bit of uh, poking fun at each other, and a whole lot of laughing together, but with that common mission and focus. And that is to articulate and rediscover between ourselves, nobody claiming uh, 100% truth or revelation, but uh, wanting to learn from each other and lead each other into understanding how does the Bible, how does the gospel, how does the kingdom of God, how does Jesus look at elections and political opportunities that we have in various times in history and various political contexts, but especially where we find ourselves now.
2: An old saying, iron sharpens iron, and you get those Christian political commentators, Christian political leaders in the same room, and they begin to hear each other and where they're sitting and those things that they hold Mm. in common, those things that they have in difference, uh, iron sharpening iron, and the Christian voice is louder and more clear today than it was uh, just a few years ago before the Church and State Summit so uh, special honour to you uh, for the good work that you've done in founding the Church and State Summit no no, no doubt uh, next year there'll be uh, one of those coming up early in 2022 let's come back to real basics here for a few moments Christians and politics, Uh, politics and Christians, the Mm. thought that some Christians have of uh, to be really spiritual is to not engage in the grubby of politics. But in some sense, politics is just people organized along the lines of the ideas that they support. And so you've got people who are now, uh, with contrast, ideas one side, ideas another side, uh, Christians in the middle of all of that trying to make sense. How do you describe politics and where the Christian fits into there, Dave?
0: Uh, I think the parable of the good Samaritan or the good neighbor is uh, the perfect parable for politics. There were two religious people, very devout, very spiritual, very devoted in in their fervor for God, going about their religious duties, and they didn't want to get involved in the grubbiness of helping a neighbor in need. Uh, They didn't want to get involved in, and he was one of them. And then this other neighbor, a Samaritan, probably despised by the guy who was who was beaten, maybe unconscious on the side of the road. Uh, You know, he was the guy who said, this isn't my job. Uh, This isn't why I'm on this journey. Um, But I'm going to allow myself to be interrupted by God and by my love for fellow man, even though I've got no, no knowledge or relationship with him. He could be total stranger, even hostile to me. And he invested his time, his effort, his resources, and he took a long term interest he wasn 't above getting involved in the grubbiness of of helping out, uh, whereas the religious people were and 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 I think in that parable, the religious people were the villains of the story, not the robbers and the hero was the guy who loved his neighbor unconditionally and allowed himself to be inconvenienced and interrupted and invested. In his neighbor's welfare. So a little less like the religious leaders, a little more like the
2: Samaritan who had on his mind, even though it was an interruption for him as well, that he needed to do the right thing to help his neighbor mm. who you know, because Jesus at the end of it, he says, you know, uh, who was his neighbor? And of course it was the Samaritan. So a little more like the Samaritan helping our neighbor. How does engagement in politics help our neighbor? is this something that we ought to be thinking of as Christian believers and the way we might be engaging in the political spectrum?
0: Absolutely. Well, we live in a democracy which there was no equivalent for in ancient times when the Bible was written. Uh, at best, Rome was an imperialist occupying force uh, that conquered through fear and violence. Um, and and that was the Jewish experience of, of, of Rome. Um, now, what we have is the opportunity to, by invitation of our political context, a liberal, inclusive democracy, by, by invitation, we get to have a say and an influence on the policies that affect everybody. Uh, there is no such thing as a law that just affects one person. You know, permission to pee at one end of the pool doesn't affect just the person who needs to go. It affects everybody. And so Laws about assisted dying, euthanasia, don't just affect the person who wants to be put down like a dog. It affects the whole of society and introduces fear and even pressures on people who have no such desire uh, but are in the same category as people the government has now articulated less value in the sanctity of their life. Politics is absolutely critical because uh, broad universal policies will invariably affect those who are poorest and most vulnerable minorities, uh, immigrants, refugees, uh, widows, orphans, unborn children those people who are voiceless and powerless the most. And if a Christian wants to help their neighbor, uh, intervene in their welfare, uh, politics is a singularly unique opportunity to help. Millions of people all in one effort. We are always encouraging people
2: to read the Bible. That's one of the central planks of our Christian faith. If you want to hear from God, read the Bible. You've got an Old Testament, you've got a New Testament. Some people, when they pick the Bible up, They do so because they're waiting to hear from God in a devotional sense, something that will speak to them personally, something that will make them feel better about the circumstances that they're in, something that will actually sow hope into their own personal life. Mm. Others, like you, and uh, I can put myself, I think, into this boat, uh, when I pick the Bible up, I'm also seeing a political dimension. How do you think of the political dimension when you're reading the Bible and the values that we catch, not only from Old Testament stories, but especially around Jesus and the Apostle Paul and the development of the early church? What about a political dimension to the Bible here?
0: Uh, The Bible is saturated with politics. If you read Uh, the kingdom of God and the lordship of Jesus Christ, the prince of peace and the government shall be on his shoulders and the authority of the believer with anything other than a political paradigm included, not exclusive, uh, then, I mean, if you just read Jesus's definition of the good news, when he uh, quoted the, the prophet and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, to preach, you know, freedom to the captive, sight to the blind, and and so forth. Uh, you know, he defined the good news, and of course, the first and primary level of that is spiritual salvation and and redemption. Uh, but. There is also the very present here and now implications of that, and that's beautifully crystallised and clarified by things like uh, Matthew chapter six thirty three, where Jesus says, "Seek first the kingdom of God," and then when he's teaching us to pray, he he says, "Pray this way, uh, uh, our Father which art in heaven, uh, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven." That is not only a personal benefit and future hope from salvation that is a here and now implication for all of society. And it's incredibly selfish and hateful of us to hoard that for ourselves or hoard that only for those in our congregations and fellow believers. That is good news and kingdom blessing uh, that we should make manifest to everybody in our world. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson helping you make sense of
1: life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020. On vision.
2: Your opportunity to be a part of where our conversation goes today, Christians talking about politics, why we should expect Christians to raise our voices leading up to the next federal election. Dave Pello, founder of the Church and State Summits and the online conservative channel called The Good Source, is our guest. Our talkback line is open on one 800 316 316 Dave, it's probably more the case that people's political views are influenced by what they're hearing in the mainstream media than from what they're hearing from the pulpit in their church. In fact, we might be speculating, and uh, this might only be, uh, you know, a way of thinking about what we think church leaders are communicating to their people, but it might appear from the sorts of things that you might hear around the traps that most church leaders tend to remain silent from the pulpit. There are other great priorities that they talk about, but oftentimes they're not talking politics. What are your thoughts here?
0: I, I celebrate the many pastors I know who are taking an active interest and in vocal and public stand on present political issues uh, they are there and and generalized comments uh, shouldn 't be misinterpreted for absolute comments that there is no pulpit uh, doing a good job on these issues. Uh, in fact, these pastors prove that it 's appropriate, wise, balanced, biblical, and possible to to do and that really is the purpose of the church and state summit and ministry is to just be a resource to those pastors who I sympathize with the difficulty of of doing it. It's like preaching revelation. Unless you are prepared to put in the hard yards and work and research and study, it's a very difficult topic to talk about. So, I, you know, church and state, I'm here. There's so many resources available for free to just, you know, be an aid. And and I really appreciate those pastors who ask for help. But there must be an acknowledgement that what you said is true, that people are getting more education from the lying harlot media than they are from the pulpit on issues that every pastor acknowledges the Bible speaks very clearly about. And that is something that we need to repent of, change our mind on, and remedy.
2: When there has been crisis experienced over the centuries, and church history shows us where those crises are and uh, where church leaders have come to the fore, and oftentimes it's been people like the Wesleys, uh, who John and Charles Wesley, who really came to the fore, say, in the Great Awakening, and uh, there were lots of other preachers around mm. that time who actually did talk about the social implications of what was happening in their land at the time. Yep. And so that was a political discussion that was going on even in some of the great revivals of recent times.
0: There has not been a great revival which did not have a political, social imperative and implication from the pulpit and in the preaching. There there needed to be an expectation of social change as well. And it, it wasn't... Uh, this namby-pamby, winsome kind of, of preaching that was, you know, seeker-friendly. It was fire and brimstone, thundering, pounding the pulpit kind of messages that was take no prisoners, unapologetic. Uh, and and nowadays we have bought the world's message that the gospel should be uh, not exclusive and not intolerant. Well, I'm sorry, but one plus one has an exclusive answer that's intolerant of every wrong answer. And the gospel of Jesus Christ and his definition of sin is absolutely unique, authoritative, and unapologetic of of everything that is wrong. We don't get to... Uh, craft a a false god in our own image because it's more comfortable. We have a message to preach, and we are responsible for the preaching of it, not the results. That's the Holy Spirit's work, and and that's something which the great revivalists understood. Charles Finney, uh, awesome preacher, he said, If Satan rules in our halls of legislation, the pulpit is responsible for it. If our politics has become so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall away— the pulpit is responsible for it. Um, I can't remember his name right now. It'll come to me in a minute. But a, a, another modern um, preacher who's who's still preaching and doing a great job said, uh, as the pulpit goes, so goes the pew. As the pew goes, so goes the nation.
2: Those are powerful thoughts, powerful insights. And uh, while we see that things are tough now and in a pandemic environment, uh, we might say these are the sorts of conditions where we're seeing Evil develop, where we're seeing ideas that are taking prominence over our Christian values and our Christian ideas. And those things are obvious in our nation today and growing more obvious by the day. That's why I imagine with a coming federal election, there needs to be a political insight that comes, which is grounded in a biblical foundation so that we can be confident to stand for truth. Standing for truth is something that we have to learn to do, Dave.
0: Yeah, absolutely, uh, and again, this is where the pulpit speaks to it, uh, and and you know, there's this. Uh, I'm, I'm writing an article at the moment. I've actually finished it last night. I've just got to polish it and narrate it for the podcast. Uh, but it's a response to a a um, thought piece in the Age newspaper this week from a lefty, never-trumper Christian intellectual. Who basically says that uh, character is everything and policy is nothing. Uh, and and he proceeds to quote uh, Paul's instructions to Timothy for the qualifications of an overseer and deacon, as if we can superimpose that onto God's desire for a prime minister and president. Uh, and that's just ridiculous. That's you know qualifications for a pastor. It's got nothing to do with politics. It's got everything to do with church life and how believers should behave themselves. Uh, and to, to say that all of a sudden that's more important than policy when the Bible is full of, of exhortations for government to be just and merciful and wise and remove oppression and defend the defenseless is just doing a disservice and misrepresenting God's Word. Our
2: special guest is Dave Pellow. He's the founder of the Church and State Summits and of the online conservative channel called The Good Source. He's not afraid to say what he thinks, and we're taking calls. You might like to contribute to our conversation on 1-800-316-316. Dave, let's start off taking a call. Ian is in Kingaroy in Queensland. Hello, Ian. Welcome along.
1: Good morning. How are you,
2: Neil and Dave? Well, thank you, Ian. What are your thoughts Good for our morning. conversation?
1: Well, speaking from experience, and having addressed a number of government inquiries, um, I find that churches aren't supportive in supporting those parishioners that do want to stand up and speak um, towards the Christian perspective on some of these things.
2: Ian, do you think that's because the churches think that people who are outspoken might be in some way unqualified to speak?
1: Uh Possibly, but then the Bible also tells us that the Holy Spirit will give us the words to speak when we reach the situation that we need to address.
2: I wonder about uh, denominations too. Maybe the Anglicans support an Anglican spokesman. Maybe uh, the Australian Christian churches might support a Pentecostal spokesman. Any thoughts on any of those sorts of differences there?
1: Yes, but I'm speaking, I suppose, in a general sort of way. I'm finding that most churches don't feel that they can support parishioners raising political issues for our communities these days. And we certainly don't preach the fire of brimstone messages that that, uh, you spoke of a little earlier as far as having a um, revival or anything else is concerned. So Mm. (laughs) I'm at a bit of a loss for... you know, trying to get or engender support from either parishioners or pastors of churches to address some of the political issues.
2: Ian, good thoughts, let's get a, a thought or two. Dave Pellow, uh, this rings true
0: for some of the experience you've had, too, no doubt. What are your thoughts for Ian? Look, uh, I've spoken to some denominational leaders of of the nation and and they assure me very firmly, and I have absolutely every reason to believe them that they are, lobbying furiously and, and firmly behind the scenes. Uh, and that is the problem I have, that it's behind the scenes. But I appreciate they're doing something and and not actually silent as often perceived to be. But, you know, I also want to emphasize again, just for the record, that uh, far from being a church basher, I'm a fan of the local church and and pastors. And uh, there are a number of churches that invest financially in sponsoring my ministry. And uh, my church has certainly got my back um, to speak politically. So there are some very, very good exceptions. But you are certainly not Robinson Crusoe in wishing that more churches would support the people within them uh, who, who have that prophetic call on their life to speak boldly into the public square.
2: Ian, thank you so much for a good thought uh, to offer in our conversation today. Our talkback line remains open on 1-800-316-316. Uh, you can join in our conversation. I mean, my thought arises, uh, you've got organisations that have grown uh, to significant size, uh, like the Australian Christian Lobby or mm. Family Voice Australia, the uh, Australian Family Coalition. Uh, there are a whole bunch of uh, those people that I talk to, <clears throat> and uh, and they've got their own backing. It sort of makes it viable when the people are prepared to put a few dollars in and Mm. help to support the way the thing goes forward. But I wonder that church leaders, while they might be supportive of these voices, they're not always wanting to put their name to it because they say, well, that might not be representative of every Christian movement.
0: Uh, I don't really care about representing every Christian movement. I want to represent Jesus and God's word. And every pastor should have that absolute, bold, fearless conviction. If I have to run a church of one to do it right, then so be it. That's God's problem. My problem, my responsibility is to be faithful. Uh, and, and so, you know, being representative of organizations and, and you know, human man-made denominations is, is just silly. Like, if you don't like it, leave. But we're going to be Christian. We're going to be Christ-like. We're going to be Bible believers, Bible preachers, take it or leave it, and blessed subtractions. And so when there are
2: organizations that have got Tremendous resources, biblically founded. Uh, You might not have to tackle every issue from the pulpit if you can resource your people to be able to understand some of the political issues. That, in fact, empowers people, doesn't it? It empowers the church if they are supportive of some of those organisations.
0: Yeah, definitely. And look, we we live in a 24-7 microwave internet age. You don't have to do everything in 15 minutes on Sunday morning uh, and you can't possibly, uh, you know... uh, I know pastors who say to me, Dave, I'm flat out getting people to uh, tithe and pray and read their Bible and come to church every week, you know, uh, like uh, getting beyond the basics and into politics seems like uh, an ambition that's uh, far beyond me. But again, there's so many resources you can just share uh, articles from Christian thinkers that you think resonate with you might be able to point out some mistakes in them and some things that you you like to clarify without having to do the five hours research uh, behind it. You can point people. You can you can get some of these ministries into your pulpits. You can hold a special meeting midweek and and make it optional. You're not offending people. People signed up to come to a political meeting if you have it on a Thursday night. Uh, and and so there are so many resources available. You, you're absolutely right. And. You know, to that point, uh, we should also take it easy on Christian organizations like the ACL that specialize. Well, of course, they're not going to talk about Christian persecution in Afghanistan because that's the job of Open Doors. You know, Paul very clearly speaks about the body of Christ and having specialized functions for every part. That's not a problem. Open Doors does a fantastic ministry and they should not be involved in lobbying the message on God's definition of marriage. But the ACL absolutely should, and it doesn't diminish their message if they're not talking about Christian refugees in Afghanistan in every single press release.
2: There may be a tremendous takeaway from a conversation like this today that you can supercharge your own church's expression politically by aligning with some of these organizations, and let's not even take favorites because there will be some listeners today who've got favorites or uh, they could recommend to their pastor that maybe we actually get some of these resources into the hands of our uh, our, mm. our uh, congregation so that there can be at least an awareness. And some people will avoid it, some people will ignore it, but there will be some in congregations everywhere that will take up a real challenge here and uh, with, the, uh, you know, with the endorsement of their church leader will take this sort of thing and run with it. Uh, that would be a takeaway, wouldn't it? Supercharge the congregation by aligning with a group that actually has a biblical sense of political policy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and again, you're just tapping into the resources of the body of Christ, which is the way it was designed. Um, there isn't an excuse for never talking about or training the congregation for political issues because the mainstream media is doing it all the time.
2: Let's take another call. Shannon
0: is in Western Australia. Hi, Shannon. Welcome.
3: Hi, thank you. I'll just, I'll try and be quick. Um, I just thought I'd get your uh, thoughts on on a quote quickly. Um, So what's in store for Australia, this is the quote, depends on what option churches take. Option one is the cloister church, abdication of salt light in public spheres. The result is strong discipleship, which is good, and little to no influence in society, which is bad. Option two, the lukewarm church, embracing of socio-political trends, softening of doctrine in effort to be seen as loving, acceptable and palatable. The result is heresy, apostasy and the removal of a lampstand. Or option three... The historic Orthodox Church, which is a spirit-filled, Bible-based, militant church that disciples and permeates every area of society. The result is the creation of imperfect yet Christian societies that stand as beacons of light in a dark world of human oppression. What happens in Australia is up to its churches. God doesn't raise your kids, you do. Don't spiritualise apathy by calling it sovereignty. Bit controversial, but I'm interested in your thoughts.
2: <laughs> Wonderful stuff, Shannon.
0: Uh, your thoughts here, Dave? Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, no strong disagreement with that at all. Uh, there's very clearly a comparison in option two to the Church of Sardis, who was lukewarm. And uh, you know, the interesting thing is that Jesus says to the Church of Sardis, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you invite me in, I'd I'd love to come in." Uh, we often think that's a message for unbelievers. No, that was a message to the church. Jesus wanted an invitation into the church. A great preacher recently heard, I heard him say about this, uh, you know, Jesus's name was over the door, but his name wasn't on the guest list. Uh, And I just fear that is the case for so many churches uh, in Australia to this day who are uh, lukewarm.
2: Thank you so much, Shannon. Uh, great insight, and uh, thanks for giving us those three options there. I'm sure we could all see where we're all at in that. Let's take another call. Graham is in Burnie, Tasmania. Hi, Graham.
0: Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, look, today our
3: nations have rejected God, and this is just a reflection of what the confusion and what the rejection of God our nations have made their choices. They've had politicians for the last 20-odd years. They know what they are. They've embraced these people. Uh, the true Christians who cry out are pushed to the side, and we're battling, actually being persecuted in these days, right in their own backyard, for standing up
2: for God. And this is God's saying to us, come out of her, my people. Seek salvation. i at that. Graham, good thought there. A little pessimism in what you're saying, almost as though this was inevitable, and this is, you know, uh, you know, these are the, the clothes we've got to wear. But I guess a conversation like this today is that: do we have to accept that as the norm? Is there a way that Christian believers can come to the fore once again? What empowerment would they need to be able to stand up and stand for truth and uh, make a difference? And that comes down to how you engage in this battle of ideas and bring the Christian perspective in there. Dave, what are your thoughts for Graham?
0: There's a, a great deal of opportunity uh, for the pulpit and responsibility, uh, but there are many, many Christian ministries in Australia, the Church and State, the Australian Christian Lobby, Family Voice, and, and, and many others who are empowering the church universal, every Christian individual, uh, to have that platform and, and to have that voice, have that activity that they can do, um, and and there is absolutely a a time uh, and season upon us now uh, whereby Christians need to come out of that fear, come out of that silencing that can be put on us by the world and and even by worldly Christians, uh, and and just be bold and prophetic and Christlike and preach. Uh, behold the kingdom of God. It's good news for everyone. And um, that's definitely what we need to be doing, Graham. Graham, thank you so much for your call. 1
2: 800 316 316. Let's take another call. Sebastian is on the Gold Coast in Queensland. Hi, Sebastian. Welcome.
1: Hi, good morning. How are we?
2: Very well. What are your thoughts?
1: Uh, look, I just really want to say thank you for actually bringing this topic to. To the air because I know that no one really wants to talk about it. And it's something that I really am passionate about because you know, especially when you look like some of the legislations in Victoria that which I honestly believe that are evil. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, every, every time I tend to bring it up, everyone tends to as a Christian, just brush it off and oh leave it to God's hands and I'm like, you know, yeah, I believe I'm praying for everything, but it's something so simple that we should be talking about and something so simple as voting for our right leaders. And, yeah, just everyone seems to ignore that topic and I find this room frustrating. So
0: mm.
2: I
1: just Dave. really want to say thank you.
0: <laughs> Good on you, Sebastian. Yeah, Dave, your thoughts for Sebastian? Thanks, Sebastian. Yeah, the thing that struck out stuck out to me in what you were talking about was the, the people's response, you know, just leave it in God's hands. And um, what we have to do, every one of us, is, is help our brothers and sisters find the truth, not with arrogance, but with a mutual spirit of, of fraternity, brotherhood, fellowship in Jesus Christ, unity. And, and that is we have to have a prepared answer. Um, for those kind of things. The more often you hear that, the more often God is telling you, you, you need to actually have a better answer for that, one that's not going to just rebuke them and slap them down, but one that's going to bring them with you to a bring them to a, a better formation in Jesus. And And so the answer to that is, Look at all the verses. Uh, Proverbs um, eight and nine. Proverbs thirty-one, sorry, verses eight and nine, talking about intervening. Uh, Pro- um, Isaiah one seventeen, also talking about intervening and justice. Uh, Micah six eight. There are so many scriptures where uh, God's people are commanded to intervene in injustice, not leave it in God's hands, that is absolutely lazy. The parable of the Good Samaritan, again, loving our neighbor requires practical intervention. They didn't have a prayer meeting. They helped the guy. And prayer is absolutely important and indispensable, but it is inadequate in God's plan for our partnering with him to help those who need help. Sebastian, thanks so much for your call. Uh, let's take as many calls as we
2: can here in this short space. Richard is in Alstonville in New South Wales. Hi, Richard. Welcome. Uh, g'day. Um, well, I had a question about, um, you were talking before about um, vaguely about media and and how the left has a very strong influence. Like you made, you made a quick quote there. Um, mm-hmm. As As the church... Um, from a Christian point of view, do, do we tend to gravitate more towards a capitalistic view, view and a corporatistic view in the left, if you understand the, what the question is?
0: <laughs> um, not quite. But, but let me pick up on, on just the, the, I guess, the criticism of the left. Uh, something I've noticed in the last two years is that left and right have an anti Christ view of authority. Um, And and so it's not just a a lefty versus righty view. It's actually an authority versus liberty view. And, a Christian understanding of the Bible says that God has created boundaries and different authorities and boundaries for the different authorities. A parent has boundary has authority over their family. A church has certain authority over different things and God created government authority, but he also created their boundaries. And the removal of God-given rights is an absolute transgression of the boundaries God set over that. That's not a lefty issue or a lefty belief. It's an authoritarian belief, and that is found on both the left and political and political right.
2: Thank you so much, Richard. Let's take one more call. Mike is in Launceston, Tasmania. Hi, Mike. Welcome. Oh,
3: yeah, g'day. Um, I'm just reflecting upon um, the Democratic – sorry, DLP, the Democratic Labor Party, which split off from the Labor Party in 1955. I think it was basically backed by the Catholic Church who were mm-hmm. rightly so um incensed with the you know the possible communism and socialism eking into australia, mm-hmm. so that's where the the church is actually um standing up and using its political muscle
0: a good example in that way yeah that that was a good example and uh, and this is um one of the truisms is that the labour party has a christian foundation uh long since forsaken uh and so may the liberal party. Uh, and I dare adventure, venture long since forsaken. Uh, partisanship is not biblically substantiated. In Joshua chapter 5, uh, Joshua, a fighting man, says to God, are you on our side or the enemy's side? And God unhelpfully says no. Uh, he expands then and says, I am my own side, and the wise man sides with me. God then proceeds to wipe out Joshua's enemies. Uh, And and so, you know, God doesn't care whether um, liberal or labor support his policies. He just wants his policies supported. And so it's for the Christians, uh, external and internal to those policies, to find every resource at their disposal to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness.
2: Mike in Launceston, thank you so much for your call. And uh, time has run out. If we're summing up things here and talking about how the Christian thinks politically, uh, there are some things. When we are followers of Jesus, uh, people think of that followership in different ways. Uh, One thing that uh, stays very, very firm in me, if if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't just believe in Jesus, you believe what Jesus believed. Uh, To Mm. me, that becomes a foundation for the way we think about everything, whether it's our marriage, our family, whether it's all of the social issues that we're talking about, Dave, Jesus front and center. Mm. And yet that ought to be motivating us, as you say, not just to the prayer time, but to the action of how we actually represent that believing in Jesus. If you're summing up a few of the thoughts, sorts of things we're talking about today, what, what are your thoughts?
0: Uh, one, the gospel is not a personal benefit, future hope alone. It is definitely a personal benefit and future hope, but it is a real political statement um, with immediate, present implications. The Lordship of Jesus is not just over uh, you know your personal heart, uh, but he is the exalted Lord of heaven and earth. Uh, that is an impotent, weak, and limited statement if it doesn't include uh, people outside the kingdom of God and the political realm. Uh, But it isn't weakened, impotent. It is potent and strong because Jesus is the exalted Lord and we seek his kingdom here and now. That is the fullness of the gospel. It is a cop-out to say I'm not interested in preaching politics because I'm only interested in preaching the gospel. Uh, And we absolutely owe, owe our all and only allegiance to Jesus. No political party. Uh, and And so we are free and liberated agents of the kingdom of God to influence biblical justice, not social justice, not racial justice, biblical justice, uh, which gets all of those other things right without corrupted human agendas. Uh, and when we have uh, the gospel and biblical political philosophy, we are preaching justice, we are preaching freedom, We are preaching peace uh, and we are preaching the kingdom of God. But in the political realm, uh, the best condition for our unbelieving neighbors is the kingdom of God and and those policies. Uh, And that does not mean that does not mean the imposition of faith. It means the imposition of justice and morality. Wonderful stuff, Dave Pello, And as I farewell you
2: today, let me just say, Church and State Summit, early 2022, end of February typically. 26th of February. All right. We'll mark that in the diary and no doubt we'll be talking to you in the lead up to the Church and State Summit, as I always do goodsource.news your online news channel uh, no doubt uh, the listeners to today's conversation uh, they might look to to some of the articles some of the programs that are running on your news channel a very very quick oversight of of what you do
0: yeah so we run a uh, look it's it's conservative generally i'm christian by choice and conservative by coincidence um and and so we want to publish those views which are largely censored and squashed in in the mainstream media it's not exclusively christian but if you read the article i'm publishing later on today it's very christian um and so that's a voice uh of of reason and and truth and debate uh where debate is welcome i'm happy to publish people i disagree with uh,
2: not afraid to be controversial. And uh, Dave Pello, always refreshing to get your insights onto the sorts of issues we're talking about today. And no doubt we'll get your insights as we lead up to another federal election. Let me give the websites churchandstate.com.au and goodsource.news, uh, that online conservative news channel. Dave Pello, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you for the
0: opportunity, Neil. God bless you all.
3: Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.
0: Hey, thanks for listening. I appreciate you tuning in. Uh, And, of course, you can go to goodsource.news to subscribe to our newsletters there or to become a supporter. A big thanks to the Good Source and PeloTalk supporters who chip in a little bit each month, $5, $10, $20 or more, to help keep this work coming to you and, and publishing other Likewise, independent lines of inquiry. I love being challenged, and uh, there's a lot happening. Uh, that article, I promised in the interview, still hasn't been um, published. It's a fairly long one, and I just want to make sure I get it right because uh, it's a little bit confrontational. So wanting to be careful and deliberate about that. I don't mind being controversial, but I don't seek to be controversial What needs to be said needs to be said. And I just want to make sure all of us, but especially me, keeps the sweetest spirit possible while uh, taking no prisoners. Look forward to seeing you soon in the comments and questions and look forward to seeing you in the comments. Uh, Feel free to ask a question or make a challenge. Bye.